Hello, in this week's show, an alert over fighting in Yemen's north and the inevitable toll on the country's war-weary people, grassroots solutions to gender-based violence, and the latest from the UN Health Agency about rare multi-organ inflammation in children with COVID. Stay with us too to hear about progress on the global eradication of landmines, and not forgetting closing comments from regular guest Solange Behatege-Cortez. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. Thanks for listening. First, the news. This is the news in brief from the United Nations. In Yemen, UN humanitarians have said that they're extremely concerned about the safety of civilians in northern Marib Governorate, which is home to some one million displaced people. UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, issued the warning as the front lines of conflict shift closer to heavily populated areas in the oil-rich region. Access to humanitarian aid is also becoming harder, said UNHCR spokesperson Shabia Mantu. Rocket strikes close to the sites hosting the displaced are causing fear and panic. The latest incident was reported on 17th of November when an artillery shell exploded without casualties near a site close to Marib City. UNHCR teams report that there is heavy fighting in the mountains surrounding the city and the sounds of explosions and planes can be heard day and night. Yemen's people are suffering the world's worst humanitarian crisis, with more than 4 million people uprooted from their homes and over 20 million in dire need of aid relief. One in five refugee or internally displaced women have faced sexual violence, and the situation continues to worsen globally, the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, has warned. In conjunction with the campaign for 16 days of activism against gender-based violence, the UN agency said that there's been a global surge in domestic violence, child marriages, trafficking, sexual exploitation and abuse since March last year. A lethal mix of confinement, deepening poverty and economic duress is unleashing a renewed wave of violence against refugee, displaced and stateless women and girls, it said. To tackle the crisis... The UN agency has called for funding to be scaled up for grassroots projects that focus on prevention and helping victims of gender-based violence. These include the Myanmar Ethnic Women's Refugee Organization, where refugee women have joined forces to overcome abuse, reinforcing their role as strong protectors of their families and communities. Children who have developed organ inflammation linked to COVID-19 infection should be given steroid treatment in hospital, the World Health Organization, WHO, said this week. The UN Health Agency recommendation comes after it first described multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children associated with COVID-19, or MISC for short, last May. Here's WHO spokesperson Christian Lindmayer speaking in Geneva. MISC is a rare but serious condition where children with COVID-19 develop inflammation affecting different organs of the body. Children with this condition need specialized care and may need to be admitted to intensive care. Although MISC is a serious condition with the right medical care, children with this condition recover. Mr. Linmayer said that although youngsters remain at a low risk of developing severe or critical COVID-19, some underlying factors make them more susceptible to becoming seriously ill, such as obesity, chronic lung disease, asthma, cardiovascular disease and immunosuppression. Mihika Acharya, UN News. The headlines there and now to our interview, which takes us into the lethal world of landmines and unexploded ordnance. 
In this year's report from the UN-backed NGO Landmine Monitor, it was found that global casualties from anti-personnel landmines were exceptionally high last year, Syrians and Afghans worst hit. In fact, more than 7,000 people were killed or injured in 54 countries and areas in 2020, while Myanmar was the only state where it was confirmed that the weapons have been used in the last 16 months. Despite this awful toll, progress is being made to stop their use and protect local communities, thanks to the Mine Ban Treaty, which became international law in 1999. With more on the issue of landmines and what's being done to eradicate them, here's Ruth Bottomley, Landmine Monitor contributing editor. So in terms of casualty numbers, in 2020, the Landmine Monitor recorded that there were over 7,000 casualties, of which 2,400 people were killed and around 4,500 injured. And I think it's important to say that the vast majority of these casualties are civilians. 80% were civilians where their status was known. And children also accounted half of all these civilian casualties where we knew what the age was. So landmines continue to create fear. They continue to create death and injury. And this, of course, then has longer term impacts on people's lives if they're disabled, but also on their families and their impact and their ability to make an income. And just sorry to interrupt there, Ruth, maybe it becomes normal to communities, but if you're afraid of stepping out of your back door and going into the field and planting, well, it must have an impact on you psychologically. Yes, I think there is a very big psychological impact for people. But as you say, in some countries where there has been um, contamination for many, many years, so for example, in Cambodia, there has been contamination for over 30 years. And so people do become accustomed to living in contaminated areas. And this can also lead to accidents because they have to farm. They can't not go and tend their crops or plough their fields. And so they take a risk to do that because otherwise they'll have no food to feed their family. I think in areas where um, the contamination is new, um, you know, people are much often much more reluctant to go into contaminated areas and have a much greater fear of the contamination and also sometimes don't know about the contamination. Can you tell us where the casualties were in the main, most likely Syria, as it has been in recent years, but also Afghanistan? That's right. So Syria, which is actually not a signatory to the Mine Ban Treaty, but they recorded the highest number of annual casualties for the first time since we began reporting on casualties in 1999. So they had, and I'm giving sort of approximate figures here, but 2,700 casualties in Syria. And then the other countries that recorded over 100 casualties per country include Afghanistan, but also Burkina Faso, Colombia, Iraq, Mali, Nigeria, Ukraine, and also Yemen. Yeah, so it's it's very widespread, isn't it? And there's also this alarming rise that you've seen, this new trend of non-state armed groups using improvised mines. 
Yes, that's correct. There is increasing use. I mean, we've seen this, I think, um, really since 2015, increasing use of improvised mines by non-state armed groups. And by improvised mines, we mean devices that have been made perhaps from all sorts of different materials. They're not, they're not manufactured, although they may be made from manufactured mines, but they're put together almost in a, a homemade way. And they're often called improvised explosive devices. But if their design allows them to be detonated by a person, they fit under the category of an anti-personnel mine. So that comes under the obligations of the mine ban treaty and countries that are contaminated by improvised mines must clear those mines and make sure that the populations who are affected by them receive education about the, the dangers. Yes. So you've said in your latest Landmine Monitor report 2021 that 60 countries are contaminated around the world. Maybe you could tell us about how clearance solutions and clearance efforts are going and also maybe how COVID, the pandemic, has impacted on those. Yes. So as you mentioned, there are still um, 60 states that are known or suspected to be contaminated by anti-personal mines and also, of course, including the improvised mines that we've just talked about. Clearance is ongoing in many of the countries, conducted by national authorities, but also by international operators. In 2020, around 146 kilometres square of land was cleared and over 135,000 anti-personal mines were destroyed which is significant progress, I think, considering the challenges that have been faced by the countries because of COVID-19 this year. We've seen some good progress in that we have around 33 countries that have announced completion of clearance within their countries. And in 2020, both Chile and the UK um, announced that they had completed their landmine clearance. And we have in some countries, Cambodia and Croatia, they cleared a significant amount in 2020, almost 50 kilometres square in each country. Thank you, Ruth. And finally, let's just talk about the Mine Ban Treaty and progress on signing. And one thing that I didn't know was that you've got dozens, maybe 70 or so non-state armed groups who've signed this. But internationally, how are we doing on this Mine Ban Treaty, which is, what, 20 plus years old now? So I can't talk personally on the, on the negotiations with non, non-state armed groups, so though it is absolutely a significant achievement and um, it's another Geneva-based organisation, Geneva Call, that actually does quite a lot of that that work. Where we are in terms of the the treaty, um, as I said, we've, we've got sort of around 30 countries that have declared that they've completed their clearance, but we still have a large number who have contamination that needs to be dealt with. In 2014, at a review conference in Maputo in Mozambique, state parties agreed that they would intensify their efforts to complete clearance. And this included a commitment to clear all mined areas as soon as possible and to the fullest extent by 2025. And at the moment, you know, if we look at the figures, 24 state parties have deadlines to meet their obligations, their clearance obligations before 2025. But if we look at the details, we can see that very few of these state parties are actually on track to do that. 
So I think there is going to need to be a concerted effort by all involved to make sure that the commitments are renewed and that progress can be made on clearance so that we have more state parties completing their clearance sooner rather than later. My thanks to Ruth Bottomley from the Landmine Monitor for explaining the scale of the landmines problem and the progress that's being made to help victims everywhere. Now let me turn to our regular guest, Solange Berhategui-Cortes, for some closing thoughts. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. Sofia is the young heroine of two stories written by the Swedish writer Henning Mankell, Secrets in the Fire and Playing with Fire. Every morning, Sofia's mother warms her and her sister Maria. Never leave the path, not even by a meter. Never take shortcuts, but one morning, Sofia and her sister Maria leave the path on the way to school. And boom, Maria dies and Sofia has both of her legs blown off. We just heard that the vast majority of landmines victims are civilians, 80%. But what is even more outrageous is what Ruth Bothamley said to you, Daniel, if you live in a landmine zone, you have to balance all risks. The risk of not having food against the risk of being injured by a landmine, the risk of not going to school against the risk of losing your legs. A landmine doesn't differentiate between a soldier and a civilian, between war and peace. A landmine is something sleeping under our feet just waiting to explode. A landmine deprives people of running and dancing. Landmines are everywhere, an invisible enemy that gets inside you. The American author Ray Bradbury wrote, every morning I jump out of bed and step on a landmine. The landmine is me. After the explosion, I spent the rest of the day putting the pieces together. Victims of landmines have a long journey toward recovery. Even with artificial legs, a landmine survivor must learn to walk all over again, to create new paths, safe paths. Until all the countries commit to clear all anti-personal mines in all minded areas, civilians will continue walking blind and we will still be sitting on a broken chair like the one standing on three legs in front of the UN building in Geneva. Thank you, Solange. Yes, you can't miss the broken chair, which uh, reminds us about landmine victims right outside the UN here in Geneva in the Place des Nations. We have run out of time again. Thank you, listeners. Thanks also to our intern, Ines Alfaro, who's in the wings with me in the studio, making sure that everything runs smoothly here on tape and online. We'll be back next week with an interview from the Food and Agricultural Organization from Afghanistan, where winter seed is needed desperately, among other things. But don't forget, if you want more headlines, stories and interviews, just check out UN News forward slash audio hub. That's it then. Bye bye for now. Ciao, Daniel. (laughs) 